Musicians play the carry-on blues. This is Conducting Business, WQXR's podcast on the music industry. I'm Naomi Lewin. It seems like every musician has a war story about taking an instrument on board a plane, but cellists seem to have the hardest time. A cello can't fit into the overhead bin or under the seat in front of you, so most cellists have to buy a separate ticket for their instrument. But now it seems that even that isn't enough for some airlines. Paul Katz was recently forced to check his multi-million dollar Guarneri cello after he got on a flight from Calgary to Los Angeles. That incident got widespread attention after he wrote about it for the Boston Globe, and it raised new questions of how airline policies are set with regard to instruments. We will get three views on flying with instruments today. Joining us first is Paul Katz. He was a member of the Cleveland Quartet for 26 years, and he is now a professor of cello and chamber music at the New England Conservatory. Welcome to Conducting Business. Yes, thank you for having me on. So, you and your cello both had tickets and seat assignments on an American Airlines flight, and you got on the plane, and then what happened? Well, uh, in fact, I was even pre-boarded. I got the royal treatment. I had the common seat belt extension around my cello and through the handle, which makes it snug and totally safe, uh, when one of the flight attendants came on and informed me that this particular flight was actually a code share with an airline I'd never heard of called WestJet. So even though I'd bought my ticket from American Airlines, uh, WestJet, uh, which was a regional carrier, had a policy that uh, cellos were not allowed on board and that I'd have to leave. So that started a lot of shenanigans. I begged, I pleaded, I got mad, I got sad, I did everything. But in the end, I was forced to give them my uh, my cello underneath. I, I said to them, uh, will you help me get to Los Angeles on another plane? And they said, well, you can't fly on any other WestJet. And I said, well, what about helping me with another carrier? And they said, well, that'll be your responsibility. And of course, I had to be in L.A. And But if I did find another flight to L.A., it would have probably cost me a couple of thousand dollars to buy a ticket at the gate and fly one way down there. So in the end, I gave them the cello. And then as soon as the plane took off, and it was the bumpiest runway you could imagine. And then we got up in the air, and after a few minutes, they discontinued beverage service because there was so much turbulence. So at this point, my imagination started going completely crazy. I just, I was near a breakdown because I thought, how could I ever have done this? The stupidest thing I've ever done in my life was to give them that instrument. So sort of to save my sanity, I started writing. I thought it would be hopefully cathartic. And so I wrote in this heat of passion what was going on on the plane. And later on, I showed it to some people that said, hey, you should send this in. So anyway, the Boston Globe wound up printing this story of uh, my nightmare. and um, We should say that it had a happy ending. Well, yeah, I guess so, in the sense that the inst- nothing happened to the instrument. That's true. Um, was this a small commuter plane? No, no, no. This was a big jet. So you'd flown on with your cello on planes like that before? I, You know, <laughs> in the last 40 years, I've been on more than 4,000 flights. I mean, I, that's what I do. I'm a concertizing musicians. I know every law. I know I know what to do. I bought my ticket through American Airlines, and I had the boarding pass, and I did everything right. I had the seatbelt extension. Everything was correct. But 
when you run into people that don't know the laws or interpret differently. And apparently WestJet does have a policy that they do not allow cellos on board. But, of course, they allow you to buy a seat. But did you specifically say, is there some place to notate that this is a cello? That oh, absolutely. You buy a seat for a cello. And uh, it would seem to me that the computer could reject that if it's on a plane that's not going to accept it. So um, you didn't consider just paying for the expensive ticket and then trying to plead your case afterwards? I didn't even know if I got off the plane if there would be another flight or if I could buy another mm -hmm. ticket. There was no way to know that. And since they seemed to be code-sharing almost everything to Los Angeles, I just thought I had no other choice. Um, I, I wanted to say one other thing, because uh, ironically, while this has been um, a problem for me and for most cellists for decades now, ironically, the U.S. Congress just passed a passenger bill of rights last February that specifically talks about musical instruments. And the U.S. Congress now has set a uniform code so that airlines cannot set their own policies. I first should mention that the WestJet response to your article in the Boston Globe said, musical instruments must be able to be stowed in the overhead bins. You cannot buy a seat for a musical instrument because the seat and its restraint system are designed and rated for a person. Well, of course, my cello is about the height of a 10-year-old child. Uh, it weighs 14 or 15 pounds, and you put it in the seat. It's an international, accepted international practice. I've been all over the world. If, it, if it'll hold a 200-pound person, it'll hold a 15-pound or 25-pound cello, depending on the type of case. When you put it through the handle and secure it, it is so snug, it's immovable. Um, I got a letter from WestJet about this, too, saying, explaining how people have tummies and thighs, and uh, if you put a box under a seat belt, it might slip out. We're not talking about a box. We're right. talking about a musical instrument that has a handle. Um, and that's and not going to annoy your fellow passengers by crying or doing anything <laughs> like that. Okay, I want to bring in our other guests now. Here in the studio is Rose Herschel, who is the owner of Musician Travel Service, a travel agency that, as you might expect, works with a lot of classical musicians. On the line, we have James H. Burnett III, a culture writer for the Boston Globe, who recently wrote about the rules governing airline carry-ons. So, Rose, how often do you hear a story like what just happened to Paul Katz? Not awfully frequently, fortunately. Uh, you know, Musicians Travel, which is part of the Zell Travel Group, specializes in moving performing artists around the world with their instruments most of the time. Interestingly enough, I would say that cellists almost have it easier than uh, players of smaller instruments because the rules for cellos is quite specific, whereas if you have a carry-on instrument, everybody knows that the rules about carry-ons are much more fungible. How can code-share flights have separate policies from the parent airline, in this case WestJet and American Airlines? The policy with uh, carry-on bags, with cellos, with virtually everything is set by the operating carrier. And so that's why it's so important to know who's operating the flight and what the rules are of that carrier. And musicians have to know this when they get on the flight, even if they don't suspect? <laughs> um, I guess you, if you want to travel with your instrument, you need to 
really do your homework, investigate what's going on, or for many people, fortunately for me, you consult a travel professional who specializes in this. At least for domestically for the United States, uh, airlines cannot n any longer have their own individual policies. That's James, what the this is Bill of Rights. This, has, James, has I was about to ask you who sets the rules for all well, of this. You know, it, it, I suppose, it, and this sounds like a cop-out of an answer, but I suppose it depends on who you're asking. Um, uh, certainly, I pressed the TSA about this repeatedly, and each time I pressed them, and no matter how I framed the question, the answer was always the same. The airlines set their rules, and we don't interfere as long as those rules uh, do not undermine uh, the basic rules of safety that the TSA has in place. And, and uh, again, I, I framed the question uh, many different ways in, in an effort to try to get the TSA to elaborate and, and explain further um, why it is that it seemed that um, each commercial airline out there had its own set of uh, rules governing what can and cannot come into a, uh, an air cabin. And um, in spite of that, the uh, TSA insisted uh, that was not their area of expertise nor their concern. Uh, their concern was safety. And how and about the FAA? Do they have any say over this? Uh, they referred me to the TSA. Oh, so you well, were sort of caught. <laughs> see, the thing is, is that all of this is the fact that people haven't caught up to the new law. This is what you're describing as a situation prior to last February. There is a law in place now that changes all of that. I loved uh, uh, your piece in the Boston Globe, by the way. It's so Thank funny. You. And uh, oh, well, this is, I'm sorry, can you guys identify yourselves because your voices are extremely similar? <laughs> oh, yeah, this is Paul Katz uh, talking to Mr. Burnett. <laughs> and this is James Burnett with the Globe. And um, he wrote a very humorous piece. But I think the point of his article was to some extent that the TSA has a different set of rules than airlines. And the only thing I wanted to say about that for all of the trials and tribulations I've been through, I've never had any issue with the TSA. They've never at all question my right to bring the cello. Uh, it, I have to put it through the x-ray machine a couple of times. I've had to open it. Sometimes they're a little concerned about uh, wires that they see on the x-ray machine, but it turns out to be extra strings. So uh, there have been some minor hassles, but there's never been any problem with the TSA trying to keep, keep the instrument off the plane. To be fair to the TSA, uh, they, they told me the same thing as well. They have absolutely no problem with musical instruments, and they were, at, they were very taken aback when I um, uh, described uh, Mr. Katz's experience to them. They said, you know, we never considered a cello to be a dangerous instrument or a security threat, so uh, we can't imagine why it would be a problem. And there then, was a, a did this problem time after 9-11 where they were taking the end pins, the spikes, uh, from music, from cellists and confiscating them so we would arrive in cities without the end pin that we needed to play the concert. <laughs> well, I'll get back to what can and cannot go on an airplane these days, but I just want to ask about, since this bill has been passed in Congress, did this problem occur with WestJet because Paul Katz was flying from Canada to L.A.? Uh, James, I'm asking you this. Uh, quite possibly. That was a, a, another uh, a point that the TSA was uh, anxious to make to me, is that um, while there is international cooperation, uh, any flight originating, uh, and again, uh, th this is not the gospel according to James, this is simply what the TSA passed on to me, um, uh, flights originating in other countries, they say, again, the rules could vary. And, and that was the disclaimer the TSA gave me 
after the fact, uh, looking back, I, I, I seriously doubt that was the case. And it sounds like it was simply an issue of what Mr. Katz said, that uh, uh, perhaps airline employees um, and, and even senior officials at WestJet, maybe they simply were not aware of the Passenger Bill of Rights that it passed. If I might interject, the new Passenger Bill of Rights, while it, it's really a tremendous advance, and I know the American Federation of Musicians worked very hard pushing this through, that the regulation has a stipulation for each carrier to judge whether the instrument is safe on the aircraft. So it's, it's, it will help a lot, but it certainly will not be a panacea. Now, airlines have cut back a lot on legroom to squeeze in more paying customers. Do you think this might be, Rose, what is behind what happened to Paul Katz and his cello? I don't think so. I, I don't presume to understand the reason for their policies. There are policies on every airline having to do with cabin baggage, with cellos. It's not static. So what the rule is today may not be the same three months from now. And speaking of changing rules, James, you were talking, or Paul Katz was mentioning about the end pins. And James, when you did your study, you found a lot of inconsistencies in TSA policies about what items can and cannot be brought onto planes. I was always afraid to take my knitting on, but it turns, that, it turns out that knitting needles are okay, but not your Swiss Army knife. Not at all. That that was uh, baffling to me. Um, and the, the funny thing about this uh, for me was that the TSA, while completely acknowledging the inconsistencies, uh, declined to explain them or, or, or even attempt to justify them, which I thought was kind of strange. But uh, yes, uh, your your knitting needle, you know, may or may not be be safe. You know, you can't bring a knife on, but you can bring your your hacksaw on if, for whatever reason, you think you may need to saw through something during your flight. As long as the uh, hacksaw from handle to blade, uh, one end to the other, is uh, seven inches or less, which seriously, I, yeah, seriously, you can. It's um, that's an allowable item um, as long as it's under seven inches. You know, every hacksaw I've ever handled, and, you know, I've handled one or two in my garage doing maintenance at home, uh, but every one I've ever handled has uh, been just as sharp as any knife I've ever handled, and, and yet they're okay. No kidding. So, Rose, what do you do with other big instruments? Double bass, tuba, theorbo. <laughs> well, okay. Double basses generally go under the plane, although there are some musicians who buy two extra seats for it. And the will it fit? It will fit a double bass? Mm. Two depends extra on the seats, aircraft. Two extra seats, and it depends on the aircraft. Theorbo, we tour lots of ensembles that will come with uh, cellos and theorbo. They bring the smaller one, and it goes in uh, into a seat. Contrabassoons frequently will get anchored into a seat, which also don't sit down and have no thighs or legs or anything <laughs> else, just like the cello. But they have a handle, and the seatbelt extender can go through it. Do you ever? Tell artists to drive or take the train if that's an option? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> there are some things that are just not worth it, and given the time involved in getting to the airport, checking in, security delays, many people find that uh, driving has become more attractive, and in Europe, uh, a lot more trains. Well, and speaking of Europe, there is an online petition right now to get the European Union to amend a regulation on air passenger rights with regard to musical instruments, because apparently it's a lot more restrictive over there. And as of this taping, this petition is close to getting the necessary 32,000 signatures. Does any of you know, does European travel pose the same issues 
Well, my... Historically, it's been much easier over there. They seem to have a maybe a, a nicer attitude towards musicians and culture in general. But in recent years, it's become a problem because of these low-budget carriers that are small and don't allow almost any baggage at all. Yes, I think you're right that in the major European carriers, it seems to be simpler. The carriers seem to be more accommodating. Perhaps the European travelers are somewhat more relaxed. And most of the European difficulties, except for the budget carriers, have been transatlantic in business and first class, where some of the European carriers will no longer allow a cello. So is this a predominantly an issue with the budget carriers, do you think? Yes, I do. Yeah. Some of the people that I spoke to for this, uh, my article on background uh, agreed with that premise. Of course, they w weren't willing to say it on the record, but they did say they thought this confusion that we're discussing seems to be more prevalent among the budget carriers, um, especially those that are in uh, partnerships with the major carriers. Well, apropos which airlines, whether it's smaller versus larger airlines, the Strad magazine a couple of years ago, polled readers about instrument-friendly airlines. The ones that ranked best were Southwest, not a huge carrier, and Lufthansa. And the ones that ranked worst were Ryanair, a budget carrier, followed by Air Canada and Continental, which is now United. So how does that jive with your thinking that this has to do with budget carriers and not car budget carriers? Anecdotally, Southwest has a reputation for bucking that uh, uh, that trend of, of not being accommodating among uh, uh, budget carriers. Um, I've, I've gotten anecdotal stories from airline professionals, from passengers who have told me uh, about odd-shaped packages, about large uh, carry-on items they had. Uh, in one case, about a woman who brought a celebrity dog on board, and we're not talking a dog that can fit into a small carrier, but a, rather a Great Dane, I believe, that had the distinction of being the world's tallest dog. How they knew the dog, that I'm not quite sure. But, um, yeah, so I, I'm told the Southwest, uh, again, anecdotally, is very accommodating and, and sort of defies that uh, reputation. Yeah, and I would concur with Lufthansa being great and Ryanair being a problem. Ryanair is one of those small little carriers. So, Rose, how should musicians prepare to go to the airport. Does it help to carry a copy of the rules with them? It certainly can't hurt. First of all, it's necessary to research what the rules are, which is very important, and to maintain a calm and friendly demeanor. There are other things, I, I know they may sound very silly, but many women like to wear a black dress because it makes us look slimmer. And then you see a cellist come to the airport with a white fiberglass case that looks like a refrigerator. And somebody is going to get their hackles up about that. Um, I also used to work with a cellist who showed up with his cello and his cat in a small carrier and didn't understand why the flight attendants got, a little, got their hackles up also. Well, but come on, Rose. I mean... <laughs> That's really kind of begging the question. We have a serious problem here, yes, of and course. we're not showing up with cats. And uh, if a case is white, it's no reason that it shouldn't. Uh, you know, I mean, what, what what are we talking about here? Psychology, or are we talking about fair rules? I'm fair not, treatment. Look, we, of course, we want to have fair treatment, but sometimes you have. I, at least I feel personally, it's important to try to 
structure the situation to your own advantage. Of course, you should be able to put the the cello into any kind of appropriate case that you want, that you feel is good for your instrument. Mm -hmm. But you also want to create a situation that may make your life easier. For sure, yeah. Paul, now you said you've been on over 4,000 flights in the course of your career, and we've heard now a lot about the downside of flying with a cello. Are there any perks? <laughs> yeah, sometimes it, uh, well, I mean, in the days where there were some decent airline meals, of course, I used to get one for my cello on a regular basis. But my, my favorite story about that is I was flying on, with the Cleveland Quartet on British Airways on the day flight uh, from New York to London a number of years back. And uh, we were flying business class, and when you arrive in, uh, on British Airways on that day flight, it's 9 o'clock at night in London. So British Airways would give those passengers that wanted it, they would give them a free hotel room um, at Heathrow Airport uh, if they were going on to Europe the next day on a British Air flight. So my quartet and I got off the plane. We went to the voucher desk to pick up our uh, room vouchers for the hotel. And uh, my three buddies got rooms with a single bed, but since I was traveling with Miss A. Cello, I got a room with a king-size bed. Very nice. Does it have its own frequent flyer number, and you get those miles, too? Well, no more. I mean, it used to be that cellos could have frequent flyer numbers, but the airlines, in their generosity, have uh, basically programmed their computers not to accept cello. Uh, they can't program their computers to reject the buying of a ticket for a cello, but if you try and put in a frequent flyer number, they will stop that. So oh. how's that for justice? <laughs> James, do you see any other justice down the road on this? I, you know, um, this is an awful cliche on my part, but uh, given that ultimately, beyond all the private enterprise here, this is a government bureaucracy that we're seeing, and that means more red tape wrapped around more red tape, so I, I don't see any serious change in the uh, near future. Well, fingers crossed that it's not quite as bleak as you said. <laughs> Thank you all very much for joining us. Of Thank course. You, Thank, you. Thank you very, very much, yes. This has been Conducting Business. Our guests were cellist Paul Katz, travel agency director Rose Herschel, and Boston Globe reporter James H. Burnett III. Brian Weiss is our producer, and the engineer today was Rob Weisberg. I'm Naomi Lewin. You can subscribe to the Conducting Business podcast on iTunes, Thanks for listening.